Now, if you do follow developments and issues in the higher education sector, as we certainly do here on Saturday Extra, you may remember that back in November, the Albanese government launched the Australian Universities Accord. It was a plan to massively reform the university system and create a visionary plan for the future. And that was delivered by the Education Minister, Jason Clare, who's been pretty busy in his portfolio, it must be said. Uh, It involves a 12-month review of the sector, which is being led by Professor Mary O'Kane. The review called for shareholders to make submissions, of which there were hundreds, and it closed last week. Today, we're examining the bold submission put forward by the group of eight universities, which comprises Australia's leading research-intensive higher education institutions. That's University of Melbourne, the ANU, the University of Sydney, of Queensland, of Western Australia, of Adelaide, Monash and UNSW in Sydney. Uh, to find out more, I'm joined by the uh, Chief Executive Officer, Vicky Thompson from Adelaide. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Geraldine. Good to be with you. Um, Vicky, this is certainly uh, an idea to change the discussion, I must say. Um, could you explain the new systems approach the group is recommending and how it would be different to uh, what we currently have? So the government really did issue us a grand challenge, if you like. And if you think about the reforms of the university sector over decades past, they've all been couched in the context of nation building. So if you think about the creation of colleges of advanced education by Menzies, uh, the expansion of participation through the Whitlam, uh, Dawkins and Bradley reforms, they've all been very big. And this is This is our opportunity, uh, if we take government at their word, to go bold. So that's what we've done. And the GO8 approach, as you rightly said, our focus is very much around research. That is what binds us, is to say, well, the system as it currently is, is very clunky. It doesn't allow for differentiation in the system. We have, you know, federally, uh, federal and state-led, so we are as universities funded by the federal government, uh, regulated through a, a regulatory body which is federal, but we are under state legislation. We have a vocational education system which is covered through the state governments and state legislation. So what if we just redrew and had a blank slate? What we are proposing for further investigation is what we're characterising as a seamless tertiary or post-secondary education system where you had one system um, across sort of government, if you like, uh, but you have a group of universities which are uh, almost like a reframed federal-state relations where you'd have federally funded research-intensive universities and then you'd have other universities which can focus on their particular missions funded appropriately through state legislation. So is this a sort of another way of teaching universities versus research universities? No, not really. And and that is always where we end up because we're looking at it in the current context. If we suddenly did that now, that is where we would end up and that is not appropriate. We have 40 universities in this country. Most all of us are very comprehensive. Uh, The fact is that the research is concentrated in a group of universities, the group of eight, uh, but that's not to say obviously it happens across all universities because we actually have to do research under the legislation to be a university and we're certainly not suggesting that that changes. But what we don't have is a differentiated system so that it allows kinds of institutions to pursue their specific missions and be resourced. So if you look at, for example, the US, 
The US has a, a, a system where they have doctorate granting universities, master's colleges, mm. baccalaureate colleges, etc. There are about 400 doctorate granting institutions which carry out teaching and research, and I guess that would be the closest um, sort of corresponding to what we have here in Australia. Similarly, Germany has a differentiated higher education system. We are very, uh, we're very much the same across the sector. So that doesn't allow for differentiation or specialisation. And if you have specialist universities, so you have federally funded research universities, and it could be, you know, it could be a dozen universities. I'm, I, I, that, that's the jury's out on what that would be and what metrics you would use. Um, you can then concentrate on excellence where you excel. So whether it's undergraduate teaching, disciplinary specialisation or research programs. Yeah, look, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, I've been hearing this for years from universities Mm. about the need to differentiate. What also struck me was what you were saying about research, that the group of eight undertake about 70% of, of, I think you said, of the university research, but they're falling short on funding of research. They receive $2.5 billion from the government, but they spend $7.7 billion, and you have to make up the, the gap through usually international fees. Now, and that was what was so starkly revealed during COVID when the, when the international students exited. So you're saying there's a 45% loss on government-funded research, and this can't go on. Now, that's obviously a key part of, of what you're calling for too, isn't it? That is absolutely right, Geraldine. Um, we we cannot continue to rely on cross subsidisation as a sector, and at some level, every university does rely on cross subsidisation. But because the group of eight undertakes, as you said, seven point or spend seven point seven billion dollars, or twenty percent of Australia's total national investment in R and D, and seventy percent of the university based R and D, the significant proportion of our R and D in this country is funded by teaching revenue, and that is largely international education revenue. And so what you have potentially are perverse outcomes in terms of international education recruitment. We have reliance, and we've seen that through um, COVID where, you know, we had to we, we Well, I guess the Band-Aid was ripped off in terms of that reliance. We didn't really talk a lot about this cross-subsidisation in the way we did until it was exposed in the way it was throughout the COVID period. But I think shining a light on it has been a very positive thing and it's allowed us to actually look at what do we want our system to be. We do want a healthy international education sector, so let's be very clear about that. But we want it for the right reasons. We don't want it because it should fund our national research effort. I think there's actually a question about the morality of funding our research largely on the back of international student fee income. So is this the the crisis we had to have? Is that that your implication? Well, I mean, it's a crisis we would rather not have had, of course. Um, And I have to say, I've been around this sector for two decades now, so and we've been talking about the distorted funding model of the university system, which there's been a slow creep towards increased funding. Uh, universities have increased their own funding of um, of higher education, while at the same time, business investment in R&D has decreased and government investment has decreased. So this is not so, – so what we're saying through the accord process is let's move away from, well, government should give us more money or business should do more, universities, and let's actually look at if we had a system in place which what would encourage business, more you know, investment from business, would encourage universities to 
really follow their missions. For us, it's around our research and education and would encourage greater investment from government. What would that need to be? And what we've suggested is looking at it from a systems approach. Yes. I mean, you're calling, to get to blunt uh, figures, uh, you're calling on the government to increase investment in research from 1.8% of GDP, where it currently sits, to 3%, which is the target recommended by the group of eight, which is doubling, you know. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of people calling for that at the moment. Um, And... And you're also calling for this national research strategy. Do you think that will draw business in? Because the private-public partnership issue is clearly not being developed well enough by the sound of you. Mm. So again, you've got Mm. to reframe your whole language. And universities haven't exactly been um, sort of aligning themselves to people who sign cheques because they're seen to have been rather profligate, particularly with their own salaries. I mean, so that I'm is not part sure of I would actually. I know, I know you, <laughs> yeah, it, you I'm, don't I'm, like hearing I'm that. I'm not but... sure I would. Well, it's not that I don't like hearing it. I'm just not sure I would draw that thread. So let's just step through that. So currently we have 1.8% investment in research. OECD average is 2.7. The goal is 3%. Now, the government has actually said, the Treasurer has said this, the Education Minister has said this, and the Industry Minister have said this, that we do need to get to 3% of GDP expenditure on R&D. And that's a combined effort of business, industry and government. There's not a time frame for that. Uh, and there's not really a runway, if you like. But but what we're proposing, what, what, what we're suggesting is this is a way to get to that. Business investment in R&D, I think, has declined for a lot of reasons. I don't think you'd align it directly to university behaviour. Um, what I would probably suggest is that Part of the challenge for us in Australia particularly is that we have a very large, small, medium business base. We don't have the big industry base of, say, the UK or the US, where we are quite an anomaly in Australia where the bulk of the research is, this particular research is undertaken in our university sector in collaboration with industry. Right. Whereas in those countries which have a larger industry base, of course, they have a greater capacity to do that research. So I think that you've, you need to look at what is our industry base, what are the, the, the barriers for industry. I do agree with you that uh, we have over many years spoken different languages <laughs> um, with business and with universities and there is an opportunity and more than an opportunity, we have to get on the same page with industry. The other aspect that I think is really important not to ignore is Research investment by industry is usually for the outcome at the end of the pipeline. What is really important is investment in basic research, and that is the domain of universities and the domain of the group of aid in particular in this country. We cannot let basic research be underfunded because you won't then get bold, sort of, you know, crudely saying, the widgets and gadgets at the end that business and industry are wanting to invest in. So I think there is a pipeline here without apportioning blame on anybody and an opportunity through the accord process to say, let's look at what is the funding model for our universities, what are the incentives for business and industry, and a broad one is to get us up beyond that um, OECD average of 3% over a period of time. All right. Well, I know you're off to meet a whole lot of um, big university people as well. So, look, thank you very much indeed. We'll watch with interest. Thanks, Geraldine. Good to speak to you. Uh, Vicky Thompson, who's CEO of the uh, the uh, Group of Eight, um, and uh, we'll follow that story with a great deal of interest. 
ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.